a following presence submitted by Juliana. In January 2020, I chose to study abroad in Maynooth, Ireland. I know, lucky me. The university I studied at was founded in 1795. It has its own ghost story, which can be easily found online and is worth a read. Despite knowing of the tale, I did not feel any particular way when I first arrived. Sure, being in a new place was kind of scary, but I definitely didn't necessarily feel anything paranormal. That all changed about a month into my stay. I began having these reoccurring dreams. Dreams of being attacked in my bed, not being able to move, and my comforter seeming impossible to get off. Somehow I would manage to fall out of my bed on my stomach, but the attack wouldn't stop. I would begin to feel someone lay on top of me and, pardon the obscene imagery, penetrate me. What made this particular scarring, whatever was in me, felt hot. Not burning hot, but enough where it was noticeable. I would always wake up gasping for air, not realizing that it had been a dream. Fast forward a couple of weeks, I went to Dublin. There, I decided to get a hotel room, one where I could go shopping and take a bath. The hotel was the Clayton Hotel on Burlington Road. As soon as I got in my room, I immediately felt a presence, or like someone was watching me. I could see things out of the corner of my eye. This was around 2 o'clock. I tried to brush it off as me being paranoid. I took a bath and decided to take a quick nap. As I was about to drift off to sleep, I heard footsteps. The distinct sound of someone walking on the carpet around the side of my bed where my back was facing. I froze. I felt whatever it was sit on and lay in the bed with me. I managed to look over my shoulder. I saw two ghostly white hands rustling the covers. Immediately, I shot my face forward. I was terrified. When I realized they were pressed up right behind me, I felt a level of fear that I didn't know existed. And I felt them penetrate me. And it was hot. As soon as I felt this, I went to scream. Two things happened at the same time. No noise came out, and whatever I felt was in me left. Then I felt these two arms wrap around me and brush the hair out of my face. Finally, I was able to break free from my paralysis. I practically jumped out of bed. I began to doubt myself immediately after. Like maybe I fell asleep, or it was sleep paralysis or something explainable. That night, I slept with every light on. It's worth mentioning I asked whatever was there not to scare me that night. The next day, I was determined to prove to myself that it was real, whatever it was. So I recreated the previous day's ritual. At two, I took a bath and laid down for a nap. Only I wasn't tired at all. I laid there, eyes shut, with my back facing the same side of the bed as before. I would occasionally look at the clock. After about 40 minutes had passed, I was about to give up. I shut my eyes one more time and really tried to relax. Once I did this, I got this vision in my head, a dark-haired but not menacing-looking woman at the foot of my bed. She took a step. The same thing happened. The footsteps, the depression in the mattress, the person laying pressed up against me. And this time I knew I was awake. I began to hear the faintest whispering that slowly dissolved into static. I screamed in my head for it to please not scream in my ear. The static faded. I felt a hand lay on my ankle and slowly glide its way up to my leg, to my torso. I slowly lowered my chin and looked to my side. I could see the blanket slowly being lifted. That's when I had enough. I left that night, still unsure of it all. Since the first encounter was eerily similar, had I brought whatever it was from school to the hotel? Or was this something aware of me from the hotel all the way to the school? There's more to this story, but this is already hella long. Please let me know if you'd like part two and what your thoughts are on this encounter. 
Welcome to the True Scary Stories with Edie and Nick podcast. This is a podcast where two comedians read scary stories submitted to us by our fans, the ugliest. What's up, guys? And if you want to submit your story, like this story we heard, you can do that on the Facebook group, the Instagram, or the website. They're all at True Scary Stories with Edie and Nick. This does have, this podcast does have a little com- commentary. Not very much. We've we, 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 we been slimming it down. <laughs> uh... So if you don't like that, then we have other episodes that don't have any commentary under the Just the Terror name right here. Okay, so this is what I think about this. And thank you for submitting your story, Juliana. Um, I've heard of this before. There's like a very famous case of somebody who was having relations with uh, Blackbeard. But I think that and I think they actually got married. Blackbeard the ghost. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Google it. She was she was actually not only had that experience, but she chose to marry the guy. And she said she got very sick when she would, um, when she would, uh, when, when she let it progress, she ended up getting pretty mentally sick. So be careful. That is kind of crazy. And I like your use of Hella. I'm from Sacramento. So, all right, Nick, what do you think? Uh, well, I want to hear the part two. I, I mean, did. she said she had a part two. She put this whole thing about the place that she studied. Uh, the university has its own ghost story. And it was it can easily be found online. It's worth a read. And I easily found it online. Oh, okay. So, so uh, All right. Well, definitely send us the part two. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell her about the ghost story of that university. Oh, okay. Oh, it's the curse of the Maynooth ghost room. Almost every Irish person has been told some form of a ghost story from their granny or granddad, the Irish Mirror wrote in a recent roundup of the most haunted places in Ireland, or even witnessed one themselves. In Ireland, imposing castle walls and ivy-colored manors loom like grey ghosts in the warm glow of the modern world. It is a culture where folklore from the country's ancient pagan roots is interwoven with centuries of Roman Catholic superstition creating a unique culture in which fairies may swap your wife or child for a changeling, or it is common knowledge that the devil lurks in Lotus Loftus Hall and in the hollowed walls of St. Patrick College, Ireland's National Seminary in Maynooth, where priests have been trained for over 200 years, a malicious spirit seems to have taken up residence in what locals call the ghost room, although officially designated as room two. The room is predominantly empty with a small altar covering the only window. A statue of St. Joseph, the patron saint of peaceful death, occupies the altar. In 1834, a building known as Rhetoric House was built as a residence for priests in training. And in the early 1840s, the first suicide happened in room two. Apparently, what appears to be bloodstains can still be seen on the wooden floor. After missing the day's lectures, friends of the resident in room two had gone looking for him. They entered his room and discovered a gruesome scene. The victim was in his room, soaking in a pool of his own blood, from a self-inflicted gash across the throat. Room 2 was vacant vacant for the rest of the year. The following year, the room was assigned to a new, unwitting young man who, shockingly, was found dead under the exact same circumstances, throat slashed and razor in hand. Sometime after that, another resident of Room 2 was found lying on the ground outside Rhetoric House after he jumped from a third-floor window. He was still alive, though barely. Before some coming to his injuries, the student told college authorities that he had seen a demonic face in the mirror that morning. He then became compelled by a powerful urge to end his life and grabbed his razor uncontrollably. 
Struggling against what he believed was a demonic force manipulating him to cut his own throat, he threw himself through the window to make it stop. After this incident, a priest spent the night in the room hoping to determine what was causing young men to kill themselves. According to the legend, he was so horrified by whatever he experienced that when he emerged the following mor morning, his hair had gone completely white. He was never able to speak about what he encountered that night. Being that at the time suicide was regarded as a horrifying sin, the matter was covered up by the college. The students were buried in an unconsecrated part of the college cemetery away from other graves. Room 2 was closed and eventually converted into the oratory it is today. It's also used as the history department's workroom. When paranormal research Hans Holzer investigated the room with psychic Sybil leak for ghosts, true encounters from the world beyond, they felt fear and the desire to run, as well as a strong presence around the statue of St. Joseph. Sybil also received the impression of a four-legged creature. There's only one major rule for room two. It's strictly forbidden to bring any mirrors into the ghost room. There were previous attempts by visitors hoping to see the demonic presence. Right. So, yeah, thank you. That It was easy to find. And, man, was that scary. Yeah, it's pretty scary. And uh, I wonder if the college is somehow liable because they knew that this room was haunted. And they kept letting kids stay there. Well, this is in the 1840s. I mean, you know, was there any uh, liability uh, back you then? You know, everyone in the 1840s wants to believe that uh, if you... If you do all these little witch doctory things, that it that this will happen, or if you go outside after at midnight, the devil will get you, and all these superstitious stuff. But when it comes to the actual haunting things, like, oh no, we don't, we don't, we don't talk about Bruno. Oh, just cover it up and don't put a mirror in there. <laughs> just don't put any mirrors in there. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, jokes aside, ho hopefully it was the only encounter, but also. It's kind of like she did a ritual to um, to to bring them back. Yeah. So I wonder if now she can know how to not to break the ritual. I, I wonder. Hope so. I wonder if the dark-haired woman was there to protect her. That's I hope what so. I wondered. I hope so. Born confused. Written by Boo One. My friend, let's call him Chris, started to feel like he was being watched a few weeks ago. Strange things started to happen, and specifically, things in his bedroom. At the start of the week, he got sick, and after that, it got worse. Yesterday, Chris was at home alone, and we agreed to meet. He was in his living room texting me, and after we agreed to meet, he left the living room, light on, and went into the bedroom to get his belongings. When Chris got to the living room again, the light was off. He thought it was strange. Maybe he forgot he did it himself, so he did it again. Left on and went back in the bedroom. He went to the living room again, and the light was off again. Chris was scared but decided to turn on the light. But as soon as the light turned on, the light bulb exploded, and he saw a five-foot-four white humanoid. Its face looked human, normal eyes, but the color was white like the body of a potato. It had long bright hair, and it also he, he also said it had long, wide shoulders. After a few seconds, it disappeared. He quickly got a new light bulb and store, that had been stored in the drawer and repeatedly turned the light back on. This time, he wanted it to appear again, and it did appear again. 
Chris got so scared that he immediately left his house and told me this. I didn't know what to say, so I told him to not show any fear. And if he were to say something in his defense to it or whatever, to tell him to come to me. Yesterday, he was finishing some work in his computer before he went to sleep, and the computer started behaving strangely and got a blue screen. He stood up and walked a bit around his room, waiting for it to disappear so he could see the result. After a few minutes, he decided to turn off the computer, but when he got close to the computer, it appeared again, but this time it was a few inches from my friend's face. According to Chris, its teeth look like Esther's teeth from the movie Orphan. I really want to help him get rid of it, even if I have to transfer it to me. Can any of you help me find what this entity is or whatever it is and help me get rid of it or transfer it to me? This guy's a really good friend. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. I know. Oh, wait, he's picking on you? Tell him to come to me. Come to me, man. Because I'm an entity. Pick on an entity your own size. I mean... <laughs> I got two entities right here. What yeah, is wrong with yeah, yeah. Man, he tore this thing up, too. He was, his long, wide shoulder, pointy shoulders, ugly face, potato head looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Balding, yeah. <laughs> beady eye. Wait, you didn't see that. Yeah, nice. No, like, I'm hurt. I wanted Wait. to be friends. Long toenail. No, I don't. Yeah, I mean the entity just sounds like you know. It sounds like maybe a windigo. It sounds like the, a concerned dad who was like, "Turn the light off. You don't need it on. We are out of the room." It's the the electrician windigo. Yes, the electrician windigo. Well, you know, if you guys paid this bill, you wouldn't be leaving these lights on. You wouldn't be on. leaving this on, okay? <laughs> if you understood what you're, the waste that you have going on right now. And he's like, why don't you switch to low power mode? And that's what he did to his computer. <laughs> yeah, he's like, there, stop and it. And then when he tried to back up, turn it back on, just like a dad when you he's change like, the thermostat. He's like, two inches back. <laughs> two inches of your face, turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad entity. It sounds bad to me. <laughs> it sounds ugly, but it doesn't sound bad. It sounds bad to me. Yeah, what's, what's uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of scary. Well, but also maybe it's not because the guy said transfer it to me like it was some kind of fund or like STD or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like it was like a Bank of America account or Venmo yeah. or, it, or it was an STD. Yeah. Transfer it to me. So, yeah, man, I can't help you. I don't know how to transfer demons to other people or entities to other people. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's probably an app for that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going. A message from my younger self, written by Robusta Bean. Stumbling onto this made me think about an event that I thought could be a chance to hear what everyone else thinks. So this was quite a few years ago. I was 11 or 12. I was just walking alone to school when I heard, waste your mana in my ear. You ever heard the word mana? I had never until I Googled it that day after school. My ear felt cold when I heard this, but there was no wind. There were no other children or teachers around me. There was no one too far away or in front of me. What does this mean? And I thought this was spooky because I actually do know what mana is. Okay, And the it. fact that this guy didn't know what mana was and someone said it to him, I felt like that, that means something. Um, so I think God, when, the, when Moses was bringing uh, everybody to the promised land, they only ate mana. It's like some kind of like 
nutritional like you know like when you see on tv someone gets a like, nutritional block okay. <laughs> it's like nasty i that i manna is that yeah and so it's some some kind of food that the that the followers were eating back then yeah. i know this from veggie tales actually an edible substance which god provided yeah to for the israelites during their travels in the desert told you yes told you for years we ate nothing but manna a dish that is filling but bland oh. <laughs> so that the fact that he says waste your manna i think might be god speaking to him saying hey don't life is short don't hold on to all of these like bad negative or like not negative but like not worthy things like manna was not delicious but you would hoard it because you didn't have any other food very i like that uh... so it's spooky but it's also insightful do you have anything else you want to say about i like Amanda? your uh your thoughts about that that's that's very uh insightful i thought mana was what they were referring to like if you ever played a an rpg video game you know where um you know your character has different strengths mana is usually their magical power so they have a mana amount of you know like the the level of mana they have is how many different spells they can Oh, that's kind of cool, because then you could call someone named, like, Hannah. You'd be like Hannah Mana, because she yeah. has a lot of cool spells. So, to me, I was just like, this person is a, is a video game character, <laughs> unknowingly, and uh, they're being told by the program, Whoa. waste your mana. Oh, you think it's like... The, Do your final attack. The glitch in the... the, the we're all in a simulation yep, glitch. And it was somebody telling... Uh, Telling his teammate, waste your mana, man. We got to go in into <laughs> into uh, attack mode. All right, good. I like it all. Two of Me, written by Ovi Luz. So when I was much younger, probably 11 or 12, I spent a lot of time playing outside with the neighborhood kids on my street. One day, my parents were in the kitchen getting dinner while I was outside playing football with my friends in the yard. My parents apparently saw me walk in through the garage, walk through the kitchen, and walk upstairs to my room. Normal, right? A few minutes had passed, and they heard the garage door open, then saw me walk inside the house and head upstairs to my room. They both saw this happen. So they stopped me while I was on the stairs and asked, who just walked upstairs? Thinking that maybe it was somebody else, Maybe a friend of mine that had previously walked up to my room and they just thought it was me? Confused and a little concerned by their demeanor, I said, no one? My parents then told me that they then told me that and there was what happened. And from the way they described it, they saw the exact same scene happen two times. They heard the garage door close behind me as I walked past the kitchen and then saw me walk up the stairs. Everything down to the body language, copy and paste, as if someone rewinded and rewatched my entry to the house. This would be insanely odd if it was just one person who had seen this, but both of my parents watched this happen. And even to this day, when I bring it up, when I see them, their stories match up perfectly. It really did seem to rattle them that day. Scary. So this is another glitch in the Matrix kind of thing. Maybe that girl was getting... Maybe the first girl who came in was getting rid of her mana. <laughs> or, <laughs> I guess it's a little boy. I had seen uh, 
Earlier today, there was a video on Instagram that was called uh, Repeated Animations. And it was all these moments, like it was taken from a lot of uh, basketball games, actually, where it seemed like the athletes together, where they were sitting down and drinking some water, did everything at the same time. And, you know, you've heard the whole thing about Disney uh, repeating animations back right, in the day. Right, just changing, like, the same movement, but changing the... The character and stuff like that. Right, or even, like, when you... Like, when people mock video game characters, they do that back-and-forth movement. Because yeah. you know the way video characters, they all act that way. And like, you, everyone knows when they see someone mimicking that char- that movement, oh, they're playing being a video game character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's uh, it may be that we are, are we repeated animations? Is this person another person? You know, another video game cutscene where the actual kid that's playing, their mother was like, turn off that video game. Oh, mom, now I got to <laughs> restart the garage scene. Right, cause, <laughs> well, because there's millions and millions of, of parallel universes oh, some that are exactly like ours, but you're wearing a blue sweater <laughs> instead of a black one. And this is a blue sweater. Uh, uh, and but, maybe on that one, you're the smartest person on the podcast. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely uh, scary that the parents both saw it and that they both still like, oh, yeah, no, we saw it. Yeah, you're a freak. <laughs> and we forgot to mention mimics. It could have been a mimic. Yeah. Or like a doppelganger where it's like if you see your other doppelganger, it's supposed to be like the worst thing ever, right? But it could have been just some kind of creature mimicking her. Because we've had tons of stories like that. In fact, I ha- actually have a story here of somebody who says something similar happened to them. Oh, no. She saw her child walk out of the bedroom and walk to the bathroom. Then not long after, she saw... Her kid rock out and walk to the bathroom, and she was confused. Oh no! So she saw her child, and then she saw her kid do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Yes. And then somebody says there are stories of people hearing things mimic their family's voices. Yeah. Call them from the basement or seeing the family walk down the hallway, and it's all like really spooky. And and it's also like, why are they trying to manipulate you into that? Yeah. Why are they maybe more sinisterly? They want to try to fool you. And then this person says something about how they they saw two men walking down the street who were wearing kind of funny clothes. And later when he brought it up to his friend, he was like, do you have those two guys? And he was like, there's only one guy. <gasps> and he saw an extra guy. <laughs> oh, no. I know. Maybe, like, it was, like, an apartment kind of thing. Like, you're not supposed to live here, you know? Get out of here. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. The Back of the Pack, submitted by Liam. Every year, every weekend in the winter, my dad, friends, Kel and Stevie, and I go up north snowmobiling. Yeah, you could call us diehards, but it's a lot of money as a hobby, and we love it too much to not participate. So we make the most out of the very short season. Late February is the prime of the season. Perfect conditions on uh, Jajorian Bay, Ontario. Flat, thick ice with a few inches of snow on top. Jajorian Bay is pretty big, sprouting out of the side of Lake Huron. There's hundreds of islands, ranging from a few kilometers long to a couple dozen feet. Countless swamps and bays that are landlocked, cut off from society, well, other than snowmobiles and the odd campers. You can ride north on the ice for hours, 
This particular Saturday started like all the others. We had a big breakfast, packed a bunch of beers and some food to cook on a fire for dinner, then headed out for a day of riding. We rode all day, making stops at various spots with good views and waterfalls. As it got closer to dinner time, we decided to find a spot to make a fire and cook. There's a small landlocked lake that's hidden from all the chaos humans cause. In Canada, we call it Crown Land, land that no one owns. No one can build cottages or drive boats in there. We love to go here because it is always so peaceful and gorgeous from not being disturbed. The lake is somewhat X-shaped, with long limbs coming off of the sides. There's a large island in the middle about 2 kilometers long and a kilometer wide. A mile for all you Americans is 1.6 kilometers. On opposite sides of a little bay, we have our usual spots for fires where we hide grates for cooking. The spots are close to the center of the lake, between two limbs looking across the island. We choose the what spot depending on which way the wind goes, and usually these two spots block it out perfectly. Unfortunately, the wind was furious and unrelenting at either spot that day. When it's negative 20, the powerful enough gust of a wind feels like thousands of sharp needles on any open skin. We decided we'd take the grate and ride around the island to try and find a spot out of the wind. On the opposite side of the island, we found a small opening that led to a swamp in the center of the island. There was a rock at the end that was as tall as a person, and at waist height, there was a ledge perfect to build a fire on. Although the trees stopped us from having the pretty view of the ice in the lake, they provided good coverage from the wind. We were okay with the compromise. As it was about 5.30 now, we only had about an hour of sunlight left. We quickly got the fire going, threw on some meat, had a couple of beers, and just chatted away. We're talking about how cool this new fire setup was. Since the fire was waist high, whoever was cooking didn't have to bend down or get on their knees to cook. Like nature's barbecue. Since we are cooking food, we hear animals, like ravens, coyotes, and even wolves, howling after dark, checking us out after smelling the cooked meat. And every time we go out, we even leave some scraps for the token animal. Then we come back the next day to see if the food is gone, and what tracks are left from the animal that took it. So, we finished up our beers and food. We started packing up and killing the fire. The second we snuffed the fire out, we heard a screech like nothing we ever heard before. It was like a human screaming in pain, mixed with the howl of a wolf. We all froze. We looked at each other with that silent look of, did you just hear that too? I've seen and heard of wolves and coyotes out there many times. It was not an unusual sight, but this was different, like nothing I ever heard before. It made the hair stick up on the back of my neck and a shiver go down my spine. Instantly, I felt extremely uncomfortable. I wanted to leave and I, I could tell Kel and Stevie and my old man felt that way also. I have an exhaust on my sled that's super obnoxiously loud, like a racing motorcycle. You know the ones people die on going like 300 kilometer an hour? It's deafening loud. So I went and started it, hoping whatever made that screech would hear that and be turned away. The other guys did the same. It was pitch black at this point. The sleds were warmed up and were ready to leave. We threw our helmets on and started leaving the little swamp area where we had been cooking so innocently before. My dad was leading, Stevie and Kel in the middle, and I was in the back. When we started going for the exit, we realized we couldn't find it. The way we thought we came into the swamp wasn't where we thought it was. And we couldn't see any evidence to where we had rode in. No tracks, nothing. It had been snowing, but not heavily enough to cover our tracks for the hour and a half we'd been there. We stopped to assess the situation, trying to remember where we rode into the swamp. But no one could remember what way it was. We decided to just ride through the forest in the direction we thought we came in from. 
We knew that the area being an island, as long as we kept going, we'd hit the lake on the outside at some point. It wasn't a huge island after all. We started riding again. Right before we went into the forest, I glanced back at where we had the fire only minutes before. I had to do a double take. When I looked back at the fire pit across the swamp, I saw something by the smoldering embers. It was dark, and I couldn't see much other than a figure. I could see enough to know it wasn't small. It looked like it was examining what we had left, and our tracks in the snow. At first, I thought it was a bear. Yet, in the few seconds I looked at it, whatever it was, stood up on its back legs like a person. When it stood up, it stopped checking out the fire. It turned and stared at me like I knew I, it knew I had noticed its presence. I only saw it for a few seconds, but it's a couple of seconds I'll remember for the rest of my life. When it looked at me, it felt like it looked straight through me and at my soul, a look that said, the hunt is on. I felt like prey. I instantly wanted to speed up and get the heck out of there, but shortly after that glance backwards, we were riding through a thick forest with no way to ride ahead and tell the leader to speed up. After what felt like forever, but was only a small section of bushwhacking, we hit the lake and got off the island. I wanted to tell him what I saw, but there was also no way I was stopping. We were finally on some open ice in the middle of the lake, going probably 90 to 80 to 90 kilometers an hour. I figured it was a safe speed and whatever I saw couldn't keep up with that. We were riding down a limb on the X-shaped lake, heading for a portage trail that would bring us to the big water and out of the landlocked lake. The limb of the lake was probably 100 feet, maybe 150 feet wide. We were riding within 100 feet between each sled. This is just so that if one of us hits something or stops fast enough, there's enough distance to react properly going that fast, as we always do. That's when I saw it again. I saw the figure. It was running on all fours at the shoreline to my left at the same speed we were riding. I'd never seen or heard of an animal that fast. It felt like, I felt like my eyes were locked onto it. I had tried my hardest just to focus on riding. I broke my gaze away from the creature. Then, on my right, I saw one standing on the shoreline. It was dark, but the small bit of snow had cleared. The moon and the stars were bright in the night. It was huge. It was just standing there, staring at me, upright like a dog on its hind legs, gleaming at me in the moonlight. It seemed not of this world. I'd never seen anything like it. All I could think of was, we are being hunted. But by what? What are these things, and how are they so fast? I couldn't make out exactly the size, but they were definitely larger than a human. It all happened so fast, but reliving it by typing this story makes it feel as if time had slowed. As I got closer and passed the one on the right, it started running too. I remember the one I first saw at the fire pit and got the feeling it was chasing right behind me, but there was no way I was turning around to check and risk slowing down. As we got further down the limb of the lake towards the portage, I feared that it was where they would catch up. What's going to happen when we slow down to get on this trail when they catch up to us? My dad, Kel, and Stevie didn't even seem to notice. and There wasn't enough time to speed up and say anything. That would mean stopping to talk, and that is not an option in this situation. We came up to the shoreline. One by one, the guys slowed and went into the trail. They went through the fire. They went through fine with no issues, or at least it seemed so. I thought there would be some of these things or the rest of the pack waiting there for us at the entrance for a surprise attack. That's when I realized they must just be going for me. I'm in the back, and if I stopped, the other guys would have just kept going and not noticed me missing until they stopped for a pee halfway home. These things knew I was the best target. If they went for anyone ahead of me or were seen by them, they would have to take out, catch, or whatever they wanted to do to everyone behind the person they go for. If they got me, I'd just go missing. It was in total fight-or-flight mode, as Edie calls it. Adrenaline pumping. 
I knew once we get to the other side of the trail on open ice, we could go faster. I would have room to speed up, get closer to the group, and get the heck away from these things. Now it was my turn to go into the trail. As I started slowing down, one of those things emerged from the trees right beside the trail, like it had been waiting for me the whole time, hiding out of sight just off to the side. And everyone else just passed it, obviously, obliviously. Now being ahead of me and in my headlights, I saw what was hunting me. The thing, like the other one, was standing straight up. It looked almost like what you would expect a werewolf to look like, with its size and stature, having back legs like a dog, but it almost seemed like it had stopped changing form from human to werewolf halfway. It had skin like us, but a pale dark grayish color, scattered patches of long greasy looking hair, not fur like you see on a bear or a wolf. Hair! Like long hair! All in large and small patches all over its body, like it had ripped out sections of it all over itself on purpose. Its limbs and torso were long and skinny. It looked like it was on the edge of starvation. By judging by its size, now the others had kept up with my sled, I knew it wasn't weak. Its face and head were hairless, almost like a human skull that had been completely broken into pieces and had a toddler put it back together with glue in all the wrong places. It had pointy ears, a long mouth, and a nose similar to an animal, like an even more screwed up animal Voldemort. I thought this was the end of my story, and I had little to no ways out. I thought these things had got me cornered. I was struck with a feeling of despair. Last minute, as I rode toward the thing, I decided if they're going to catch me, I'm taking this thing out with me. I don't know what these things would do to me if I'm caught, but I for sure knew I'd rather be unconscious or dead already before that. I knew my only option and slight chance of survival is to try and hit it dead on. So I went for it. I was slowing down to go through the trail. Then I angled my sled and pinned it at the right at this thing. In the seconds that this took place, the thing realized what I was doing. It tried to step to the left out of the way, but also use its arm like a baseball bat to swat me off the sled. When it stepped out of the way, I mashed the brakes for a second so I could aim back for the trail and regain control so I didn't hit a tree dead on. In a state of pure luck, the thing only hit the front part of my windshield. Half of my windshield was broken, but I got away. I rode through the trail as fast as I could. I'm telling you, I flew through those things faster than I've ever went on a trail. Despite how loud my sled was the whole time riding through those trails, I could hear the same screeching we heard at the fire pit. It was only a short trail. Second I got to the big ice, I shot it up to 190 kilometers an hour. For all you Americans, 190 kilometers is about 120 <laughs> miles an hour. As fast as the sled could go, and I flew right past everyone. I went as fast as I could back to the cottage. When I got back to the cottage, my dad, Stevie, and Kel showed up a few minutes later. They were all like, dude, what the heck? We never break the pack and leave like that. It's very unsafe to risk splitting up. I tried explaining what I saw, but my dad and Stevie played it off like the bears or, or the reefer sticks were getting in my head. Uh, or the beers, sorry. After the whole ordeal and I chilled out a bit, Kel took me aside. I'm only a quarter native and not as close to my roots, but he is full and very understanding of their ways. He told me he thought I saw was something called a skinwalker. He explained what they were. I don't know if I was more scared during the experience or more scared looking back at it ha after having what they were explained to me. The next day, as crazy as it sounds, we decided, like every time we have a cookout, to go back the next day and see what animal ate the leftover meat. I was super freaked out to go back. Kel agreed to be in the back of the pack this time. He assured me, being around noon, we would be okay going back. I'd been on the back hundreds of times over my life. But after that night, stop giving me the joy it once did. When we went back, the entrance to the swamp was there. We rode to the fire pit to see some tracks. Maybe a little fox that ate the meat, nothing else. 
On our way out of the lake, I rode along the shoreline trying to find any shred of evidence to prove my story to my dad and Stevie, but I couldn't find a single track or piece of evidence. Even where the ones stood at the entrance to the trail, there were no prints. Just my screwed up track showing me pinning it, breaking and swerving. It chalked up my broken windshield to a branch or something on the trail hitting it. But I know what happened. I couldn't find a shred of evidence other than my broken windshield, and no one but Kale believed me. To this day, I know what happened, and I will remember it to my day's end. I've been back in that lake at night again. I haven't seen anything. I'm definitely one to battle my fears and not let them take a hold of me. I do find myself questioning my memory of those experiences sometimes. But Kale explaining to me and believing me helps me solidify the fact that it wasn't just my imagination. I don't like reliving this story or telling anyone about it because of being looked at as crazy. But you guys, Nick, Edie, and all my fellow uglies make me feel comfortable enough to know that I won't be judged for recalling this experience. This was hard to write. The image of that thing is burned in my mind and always will be. I hope you guys enjoyed my story because I did not enjoy one second of it. I'll send you guys pictures of the lake if I can find it and uh, my broken windshield. Okay, wow. I love stories that have my name in them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know. You lit up. <laughs> I know. Oh, me? Oh, me? Idiot. <laughs> yes, of course we do believe you. And I was I, I was thinking the same thing about yeah. the skinwalker, but that's all I think about. <laughs> the skinwalkers the skin out wiki. there. And I appreciate the American kilometers. Usually the kilometers we hear about are just the kill. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Okay. You know what's sad is I thought of that yeah. like in the beginning of the story and I still didn't deliver still it correctly. still didn't deliver correctly. <laughs> so that, and then, yeah, your your friend should believe you. And then I also like the token animal part because maybe he was just chasing you because he wanted to be your token animal. Oh, that's funny. Hey, you guys left the food. Or I was like, you guys left the food. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you. You guys left it. I've been having a really hard time. I've been ripping my hair out. Yeah, I get nervous when food's left behind. Finish your meal. Thank you. So, yeah, so uh, this was uh, submitted to us by our Facebook group, Liam. It was very long, so that's why I kind of put it separately because it's a, a, a... I loved every moment of it. Yes, Liam. and he did submit pictures of... Uh, of his, oh, nice. You know, his Yamaha. So go check out those pictures on the on Facebook the Facebook group. group. Yeah. A true so. scary stories with unit. Yeah, scary stuff. Oh, skinwalkers. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening. Wait. No, there's still <laughs> one more story. Oh, man. Man, you got... Uh... I meant to, but Nick, you didn't let me finish. Okay, go ahead. Thank you so much for listening to Liam's story. Let's get to the next one. <laughs> All right, and before we get to the last story, don't forget to give us five stars. It really does help us so much, and we love it. And yes, we should do a episode on the back rooms. Everybody's been asking. But I think since that's more of like a story, we haven't done it. And as you know, everything on this podcast is 100% true. Yes, 100% <laughs> true. We think. Yes, that we <laughs> but know. But we, 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 we might do a fun episode on the back rooms. Uh, besides that... We are going to be in San Diego this weekend at the Madhouse Comedy Club on Saturday. So we'll be performing there. Nick, what, what about you? Uh, so, yeah, this week in San Diego, Madhouse Comedy Club. Next week, uh, May 4th and 5th or 5th and 6th. No, May 5th and 6th, I'll be in uh, Billings and Bozeman uh, performing in Montana. And then May 7th, I'll be back in San Diego at the Laugh Factory. 
And then I'll be in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina the following weekend. And then guess what? June 11th, I'll be in San Diego at the San Diego County Fair. <laughs> so San Diego is going to get a lot of Nick coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my birthday's in May, so. Yeah. I got a lot of stuff going on, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> All right, let's get to the last story. This one's called A Tortured House. The simplest way to start my story is by saying I grew up in a haunted house. But figuring out at what point the house became haunted is a bit more complicated. In fact, the more I dug into the history of the house and even the neighborhood, it just became more complicated. In the early 1700s, our neighborhood was an old Spanish mission trail. It's also once Comanche territory. The area became home to many different iterations of civilized life before just becoming a family neighborhood. The house we lived in would end up being the only house my parents ever lived in. The first paranormal things I remember happening was when I was around five. Objects would move around the house. I felt like I would see shadow animals. I started having night terrors and began sleepwalking, sometimes getting outside of the house. What made it more insane, I was a small kid, so awake I couldn't even unlock the front door. I even recall my dolls moving and talking to me at night a few times. I wasn't the only one that experienced these strange incidents. One time my brother ran out of the bathroom, still dripping wet from trying to shower. He claimed that the bathroom tiles started flying off the wall. He even claimed to see what he called an alien. To this day, he still believes that's what he saw. At some point, my little sister started playing with an imaginary friend named Becky. My sister said that Becky wore old-timey clothes. Becky told my sister that she lived on a farm and liked to play with dolls. My sister said she always knew when Becky was going to arrive, and they would play with dolls. When it was time to go, Becky would be sad and anxious. Sometimes she would fade away or walk into my sister's closet and vanish. As we got older, the incidents didn't go away as much as we just became used to it. To make matters worse, other kids in the neighborhood would tell us that they had similar incidents. One friend said that there were times when he'd be walking around his house, he would feel a hand on his shoulder, but no one would be there. Another kid reported seeing small humanoid creatures in their homes. Since all the kids in the neighborhood were on the same page about the paranormal activity that we decided to use a Ouija board, Although we used it multiple times, we never really ended up contacting anything. But we might have created bigger problems for ourselves. Several disastrous problems that seem so insane that it's almost unbelievable. I'm here to say it happened. At some point, I ended up in the hospital for three months. While in the hospital, the board stayed at a different kid's house. That kid and his siblings, five brothers and sisters, used it. Well, their house caught on fire. They made it out. The parents did not. And although I would not know it as a kid, I learned that numerous suicides and homicides had happened in that neighborhood. Two separate murders occurred in the neighborhood on the same weekend. There were even other negative yet less morbid things. Marriages and new neighbors dissolving quickly. Other neighbors claiming to have seen aliens. Clayton Lee, who lived several houses down from me, experienced his first alien abduction. He and his wife had been documenting their experience for years. Our neighborhood just felt like a hub of negative energy. I had even experienced a haunting in a neighbor's house. My friend and I plan, planned a sleepover. She lived in a two-story house. Her room was upstairs next to a guest bedroom. My friend had told me that the guest bedroom had a secret chamber. I begged her to show it to me, so she finally did. In order to get to it, you had to walk into the closet. Inside the closet was another door. It led to a narrow hallway and made a turn to the left. After the turn, the ceiling gets real low, so you have to bend over a bit to continue. Then, there is a small chamber with a raised platform in the middle. The hallway and the chamber are super insulated, so it's dead quiet inside. 
I went into the chamber, looked around, and thought it was really odd. My friend said her parents were told it was a meditation room. The sleepover continued, and it's time to go to bed. I went to go brush my teeth. While brushing my teeth, I noticed the reflection of something tall and black in the sink mirror, standing right behind me. I turned around. There's a figure draped in a dark, deep, dark black hood and a robe. It had a tall pointed hat with a hood over its face, but no eye slits. The figure was very slender. The outfit looked like something from Spain or France, an, an outfit that they would wear during Easter or from pictures out of the Spanish Inquisition. The long arms were down by its side. My first thought was that it looked like a very expensive costume. I don't know why, but I just thought someone was playing a prank on me. It said in a loud voice, Hey, I'm getting dressed in here. It's not funny. Get lost. The slender figure immediately starts growing taller, looming over me. Just before the tip of its hood touches the ceiling, it disappeared in the thin air. Now, I did not know what a shadow person was then, and I was already used to weird things happening at my house, so I just went back to my friend's room and fell asleep. Now I'm wondering if I may have seen like a ghost of a monk or something from the 1700s. There was really no point in telling my parents. They didn't believe the other things we said. Eventually, my siblings and I grew up. We all moved out. My parents stayed in the house. It wasn't until my father passed away that I really began to learn more about the neighborhood. First, my mother insisted that she move after my father passed away. After we moved her into a new place, I asked her why she was so adamant about moving. She said, That house was beyond haunted. Apparently, my parents did notice the strangeness of the house. In fact, my mom said she experienced horrible things there. It was so bad that at one point she even questioned if she had been possessed. My mom told me as a kid that I would ask really weird questions and say creepy things. While I was settling my dad's estate, I discovered many things about the neighborhood. First off, our house was built on top of a farm. The section of our neighborhood had also been built on a graveyard, and not all of the graves were moved. There, were, there was even an urban anthropologist hired to locate the remaining graves. They estimated close to 50 that could still be in place. My sister told me that on looking back at it years later, there was no doubt in her mind that Becky was a ghost. The even crazier story of the neighborhood? One of my neighbor's house was built where an orphanage used to be. In 1948, a caregiver had found one of the young orphans, a boy, dead. The coroner ended up ruling it as a death from natural causes. However, years later, a man who had been a ward at the orphanage said he witnessed one of the caregivers abuse the boy and then murder him. Several other former orphans came forward as well. When the boy's body, when the boy's body was finally exhumed, it looked perfectly preserved. This could have been from the type of coffin used, not the first instance of this happening. The body was so preserved that there was noticeable bruises around the boy's throat. It was obvious that someone had used their hands to strangle him. Even more wild, the caregiver that murdered the boy was found. The police located the now elderly woman in Texas and arrested her. She was convicted of the murder and died in prison. Like I said, lots of history in that neighborhood. And I don't think it stopped. We eventually ended up selling the house. No reason to keep it as none of us had memories we needed to keep the house for. Some of my cousins still lived in the neighborhood. I recently went over to visit them. They told me that the man who lives in the house now has gone insane. Recently, he was seen walking up and down the street at 3 a.m. saying things like, The devil is coming. I told my mom. She said, Maybe we should have warned him. Oh, well. All right. Well, definitely the energy affected by the people who suffered there still caused the people who lived there to suffer. Or maybe it was always that they were there was suffering there. And that's why everyone who lived there, even the ghosts, were had met such bad ends. 
maybe it's not the ghosts that are haunting it. Maybe the ghosts are just people who are also haunted by whatever is about on the land. Very possibly. I mean, you know, like they said, it was an old Spanish mission trail, which is never a good thing. <laughs> you know, once a Comanche territory. So, you know, you know how the Spanish got rid of the Comanches. I know what I'm saying. Maybe that stuff even happened there because of the land. Oh, the land is also... Not because of yeah, the ghosts. Maybe, maybe it's just the land made all those negative things happen. Those people turned into ghosts. Now negative things are continuing. It's not the ghosts that are doing it. No. It's, it's just the, the land. It's the land itself. It's cursed. Yeah. <laughs> Humanoid creatures, aliens coming, Becky wanting to play with dolls. <laughs> right. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for reading, Nick. You're such a good reader. I really oh, never, you. I really never noticed. I mean, I did notice, but once you start doing it yourself, you're like, man, <laughs> this guy got skills. <laughs> thank you. I, I do my best. You know, I grew up reading uh, comic books out loud. Uh, with a family friend and my little sister, so we would Aww. always inflict or inflict inflection and stuff like that. I grew up um, reading the back of cereal boxes going. I went to the bathroom. Oh, that's why you read like <laughs> like its ingredients. No, no, no! Like the little like maps. Wait, like, you would take put... a cereal box into the bathroom. That's the box. I would take the bag out sometimes. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't take cereal boxes in the bathroom. Yes, and don't take mirrors into the ghost room. Bye. <laughs>